Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. And check us out on YouTube. Uh, we live stream usually every Monday evening, occasionally Sunday mornings. This time, uh, Tuesday afternoon, uh, or Tuesday evening, uh, it, it's just going to move. We'll do the best. Yeah. Life. What's he gonna, what are you going to do? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Patreon.com slash CriticsPod, the best way to help support the podcast. And then our Public page at IHateCritics.net. I got the Batman versus Jesus shirt on, which our YouTube viewers can see. I also got various merch, the Cameron Diaz's shoulder, the logo, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so check us out there, IHateCritics.net, and click on the Public link. Uh, Let's jump right into the show. I'll share sure. a picture for our YouTubers. And we'll start with the Amazon film Without Remorse. Without Remorse, uh, I think it's Tom Clancy, right? Yeah, it is. Yes, uh, starring Michael B. Jordan as a uh, Navy SEAL who uh, gets caught up in a CIA thing where his team ends up getting killed and then the, uh, they end up doing something in a foreign country. I think it's Syria uh, where they're getting involved with the Russians. The Russians fight back and kill his people on American soil. And it looks like somebody's trying to set everybody up to create a new cold war or, or maybe even a new hot war for that matter between uh, Russia and America. Um, the only good thing about it is that Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan is a really good actor and he's got a lot of uh, charisma and he holds the screen, you know, well, but this is really beneath him. It's beneath his talent. Uh, this is a very kind of old school kind of nineties action movie that uh, it reminded me a lot of Navy SEALs or stuff like that. Uh, it, and really, he's just so much better than that. And I, I want so much more for him than roles like this. This is just this is too typical. This is too uh, too on the nose. Like uh, he's he's so much he's such a better actor than what he's given to do here because it's all just this cliched Tom Clancy stuff that we've seen a, a thousand times. You know, this is a movie made for your dad. Like. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing that sets this apart from from any other movie about Navy SEALs. There's nothing special about this. The action isn't special. The story isn't special. Uh, even he is just kind of dimmed by this because he's not. He doesn't feel fully invested in this either. Uh, you can just sense that he's going through the motions rather than really putting himself entirely within this character. And it's uh, it it just makes for a movie that's really you just kind of sit there just waiting for it to end. Yeah, uh, I mean, just like any other Tom Clancy movie with Harrison Ford or Ben Affleck or whatever, they they're just not they're they're at least Ben Affleck's worst movies, and not worse, but you know, on the lower end of his good movies. And same here, yeah. Michael B. Jordan, Harrison Ford. But I don't know, I don't like anything he's done. So, what are, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, he made it watchable. Uh, he yeah. Michael B. Jordan did. And, you know, I got through it and then 
I'm thinking, you know, this isn't horrible. And then you get to the end and you're just like, oh, yeah, it is. I forgot. I'm just kind of, I kind of got, <laughs> I kind of just went along for the Michael B. Jordan ride. But it, yeah, it, it, everything is so typical about it. Uh, but you're right. He's the one thing that kind of makes it work as well as it does. Uh, yeah. But uh, otherwise, it's very forgettable. I mean, based on the movies he's done, this is definitely going to be a forgettable movie. Uh, by the end of the year, I won't even remember. Probably by the end of or the next week, I'll have already forgotten this movie. So, oh yeah, I I actually had forgotten about it until you popped the picture up. Honestly, and then I had to try and recall it to my mind because it was it's just not memorable. Like it, uh, I just it feels like so many other action movies over the years and you know elite teams of this soldier doing this and uh jamie bell is in this is actually pretty good he's got a uh, kind of a a role that is questionable but he's also one of those roles where if he would just tell everybody everything he knows maybe the <laughs> plot ends <laughs> right and uh, guy pierce his i'm not gonna blame oh, him God. the character was terrible awful it's like the second you see guy pierce you go okay bad guy yeah. <laughs> like, there's no nuance whatsoever it's just so the casting just makes it so obvious yeah so and poor guy pierce he just doesn't he doesn't choose roles well anymore and he, he just seems to be coasting from paycheck to paycheck picking up these uh cliched bad guy roles ever since he got that couple million bucks for iron man 2 this has been his lot in life yeah, but yeah, it's on Amazon. If you are into this kind of thing, uh, if you like Michael B. Jordan, go ahead and watch yeah. it. But he's got a million other things you could watch instead. Tell your dad about it. <laughs> no, tell your dad about Creed. <laughs> uh, let's move on to something better. Things heard and seen. This movie is awesome i really enjoyed this so you know i've i've got a reputation on this show for hating ghost movies because most of them aren't very good i even hated the conjuring movies which i know a lot of people love but i find the ghosts in those to be doing just all this unmotivated crap where like throwing things around the room slamming doors turning things upside down <laughs> Pardon me, sorry. No throwing thing, you're turning turning things upside down. Just nonsense that they don't need to do, and that there's really no explanation for. In fairness, and, the Conjuring was more Ed and Lorraine Warren that upset you than the, the typical <laughs> stuff. But continue, go ahead. They're yeah, they're a whole other issue. But yeah, that's I still felt that way about a lot of ghost movies. Is that any? Right. I don't like slamming doors and nonsense like that. This movie proceeds from a particular logic that you understand why the ghost is it does what it does and is able to do what it does. And it creates a universe for this ghost to exist because this is not about the ghost. This is about the central two characters. Amanda Seyfried and James Norton are a young married couple in the early 1980s uh, who are moving from New York City to upstate New York to uh, further his career. He's becoming a professor. She's giving up part of her career as an art restorer to, to support him and move to this uh, old house that has a uh, naturally, of course, has a reputation. Uh, people have died in this house many times before, and there's a very recent tragedy where the even the kids who lived in that house are still living in the neighborhood and, in fact, still interact, come to interact with these characters. And uh, 
uh, become part of the story. Uh, but not in any way that you would expect them to. And again, the 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 way that the 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 directors here, who are uh, the uh, the brilliant directors of uh, American Splendor, uh, Robert Pulsini and uh, dang it, I can't remember. <laughs> I should remember her name too. I apologize. Uh, just kind of escaping me at this moment. But uh, Sherry Bur- Sherry Springer Berman uh, and Robert Pulsini are terrific directors. They did American Splendor, and uh, they are very smart about how they put this together. Uh, and the really that the ghosts element of it underlines the troubles that with that is that are within this marriage, and that's really what the center of this movie is: is this these two people. Uh, pulling apart, you know, resenting each other, and the ghost sort of sensing that and sensing the growing, you know, uh, trouble between them. That that a lot of it comes from the James Norton character as opposed to from the ghost. And that, that there's just a, it's just a really smart way to tell a ghost story without telling you know the the kind of tropes and cliches that have become so boring and rote and predictable and just ruining the genre of ghost movies by being so repetitious. This movie has similar items, but they, they do it in a different and a very different way that I, I really appreciate it. And Amanda Seyfried continues to, to improve as an actress. She just is so she's get, she's become so credible, such a movie star, but also with a, a great deal of, of depth and believability that is a uh, really just fantastic. It's just wonderful to watch her grow as she has. And uh, she's really fantastic here. She's very much the, center of this but then i was also surprised by by james norton who i'm, I'm not familiar with at all um who's really great at uh, at slowly unraveling the menace of his character and and his backstory and the the clever mysterious ways that that gets revealed and then you've got this terrific supporting cast uh, in this movie who just uh, are fantastic of course you get the oscar winner from uh from amadeus uh again my na- my names are escaping me here i really should have my notes in front of me uh but this uh, this whole cast is just so fantastic in this movie i i just adore this um but i've got to give a particular shout out to uh to these to these particular actors uh because they are so very good in this, and of course, uh, F. Marie Abraham is who I was referring to before, who's just phenomenal in this. But you also have Karen Allen uh, making an appearance here, and uh, uh, as well, who's just fantastic. There's really just this whole cast is so very, very good, and this whole movie is just so very, very good. Rhea Seahorn, especially, uh, who uh, plays uh, jo- Justine in this movie, uh, she's a character who emerges late, especially throughout the film, but late, especially, she becomes very, very important, and she's so very good. Her scenes with James Norton, there's specifically one scene with her and James Norton where they're just kind of poking at each other. It's, she's just so superior in that scene. I just adored it. I just wanted to eat that scene up. It was so great. I mean, it's really hard to say anything else that you haven't already said without being repetitive. <laughs> uh, I, I agree 100%. Uh, the fact that the ghost story was secondary to the main story it really helps make this movie work. Uh, the cast is phenomenal. Uh, I like the fact that it wasn't afraid to go places that other movies might be afraid to, especially late in the movie. Uh you know, you look at Without Remorse, and Michael B. Jordan goes on a kamikaze mission to catch, you know, to figure out this Cold War thing, only to find out he doesn't die at the end. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Uh, this movie doesn't hide, you know, doesn't take shortcuts like that. Uh, the way James Dorn's character, you know, if you put that character with the 
the somewhat suspicious guy and without remorse as both are kind of unraveling throughout the movie this is done so much more superior to that uh i mean really to perfection uh he, he does such a great job that character is so so well thought out so well directed uh everything about it it just it flowed perfect it was easy to watch uh i mean almost you almost forget it's a ghost story at times uh, I, I don't know. I, I really like, and, and then you got the Karen Allen and the F. Murray Abram, and they're not they're not distractions. They blend right in. I mean, because they're recognizable right. faces that a lot of times can distract you from what the characters are playing, and they don't do that here. I, I don't know. Everything about this is great. Uh, yeah. It's on Netflix. I I can't recommend it enough. I mean, and uh, like you said, Amanda Seyfried is, uh, you know, she did that movie with Kevin Bacon. I talked about it a couple months ago or sometime during the pandemic i don't remember when uh, yeah <laughs> i was kind of worried are you gonna, I, I thought you were gonna i'm kind of worried how you would react to another uh amanda Seyfried in a house movie <laughs> uh, but no this what she this you know mank was just phenomenal her role oh, yeah. in that was so just so good uh you know next level and then this continues right on with that uh such a great movie i hope people get to see it on netflix uh yeah, it kind of premiered sort of funky on a Thursday. Not, I think a lot of people may not have noticed it right away, but hopefully people are noticing it now. Because uh, again, she's just so fantastic, and this is really one of the best movies of the year so far. Which scares me and makes me feel like people won't see it, <laughs> <laughs> especially in a week where it's kind of overshadowed by by other bigger titles that I'm thinking people will be uh, finding on Netflix. Right. Uh, but I highly recommend it. Let's stick with Netflix and go to the the Mitchells versus the Machines. The Mitchells versus the Machines is uh, <laughs> this is a really really funny movie, and that's no surprise. It comes from the people behind uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse and the Lego Movie. They know how to do this stuff, and they put together one heck of a terrific story here. So the main character is a young girl who's about to leave for college. Uh, she's voiced by uh, Abby Jacobson from Broad City. Uh, her parents are are uh, played by uh, Danny McBride and uh, Maya Rudolph. And uh, they really do cut a very unique figure of a family that is completely unprepared for the adventure that they're about to go on. The last group of people that you would want to have to try and save the world. But uh, they're they're tasked with that after a character played by Eric Andre, uh, who is a tech mogul, uh, creates a, a new uh, robot servant, if you will, that's set to replace the smartphone. And he immediately tosses aside the smartphone that he helped that helped him build this, which uh, carries the voice of Olivia Coleman, who becomes the big bad of this movie. She uh, dis- She's upset about being displaced by these robots, so she takes them over and has them begin to eliminate humanity uh, by not killing them, but taking them hostage in little boxes that she's going to shoot into space. Boxes at least that have Wi-Fi at the very least, so mm. at least that'll <laughs> get people calm down. I was expecting a lot of really bad jokes about, you know, people staring at their phones all the time. And there are a couple of dad joke moments in there from Danny McBride's character along those lines. But this movie really takes a lot of 
really fun twists and turns and doesn't necessarily go where you expect it to. They really build these wonderful family characters extraordinarily well uh, to to avoid a lot of the the, the cliches that that I was expecting, but I expected a lot of, a lot of, you know, lame humor about oh, people spend too much time on their phones, put down your phone and be with your family, that kind of stuff. And it doesn't necessarily do that a lot. And I really appreciated that, but I also appreciated just the, the wildly inventive animation. The wonder, these characters are, are character designs are fantastic. The robots are hysterical. They've got Fred Armisen and, and, uh, uh, Breck, uh, uh Breck, I can't remember his name from uh, Saturday Night Live. He's tr- they're both terrific in this. Conan O'Brien has a great voice work in this as well. Uh, and of course, I mentioned Eric Andre, who's just wonderful at playing a character who's just completely clueless and self-involved. He just does that so very, very well. He did it in Bad Trip, and he does that uh, in a voice performance here. I-, I really like this movie a lot, way more than I expected to. And uh, I haven't, I haven't uh, seen a, a lot of really great things from Sony Pictures Animation uh, recently. So this was kind of a, a really big surprise and a really wonderful surprise at that. Yeah, my son's already watched it. I think three times. Uh, <laughs> I I didn't. I haven't watched it beginning to end, but I've been around it <laughs> for the last couple of days. And what I have seen is, is a very watchable movie, uh, similar to the Spider-Man and the Lego Movie. They do a great job with the voices not being distracting. You know, yeah. when you watch Shrek, you know Eddie Murphy's here and Michael Myers. Mike Myers is there, and uh, Robin Williams is Aladdin or uh, the genie. You know that. And that works what they're doing here. Danny McBride, it, 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 he could have been Danny McBride the whole time and have been really distracted, but you put his voice in that body and it, it actually kind of works the way they yeah. do it. it was some, same with everybody else in this movie. So I, I found that impressive. Uh, just the watchability factor, that was really good. And uh, and then you throw in the fact that, I mean, that little boy could literally be my son. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, pretty much is if it was a movie about him, it'd be him, and uh, so it, I, I, it's it's also on Netflix, and it's a it's a great family movie, better than uh, what was that Jennifer Garner one that came out a while ago? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't remember that one at all. <laughs> it's like a wiped it from yes my memory. Day. Yes day. Yeah. yeah, which was fine for what it was, but this is you know this is gonna stick around, I think. Um, yeah, I, I hope so. This this would I think this would have been a massive hit in theaters if absolutely. they'd had the opportunity to release it there, and hopefully people are taking the chance to see it. Uh, oh, I'm sh- I'm sure they are. In fact, I already know they are. I think it was number one um, most of the weekend on Netflix, which good for them. Uh, they they've been uh, going down in subscriptions due to their consistently rising price. So maybe this will draw people back. Who knows? But. I mean, they're putting out really great originals. Uh, yeah. they, they're, I mean, there's a lot of bad ones, too. <laughs> I mean, Outside the Wire is still a terrible movie, but uh, this one and uh, Things Heard and Seen and uh, Bad Trip. Uh, bad Trip's probably on the lower end, but still, it was quite good for what it was. Right. Uh, they, they're, they're putting out some pretty terrific originals. Well, and they cleaned up at the Oscars, didn't they? Didn't they do a pretty good job there? One, I, I guess I don't really know. I could have swore they won like nine awards or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, there was a couple. Yeah, Ma Rainey. Oh yeah, where was that one? <laughs> uh, Mank was also a Netflix movie. Uh, yeah, and multiple nominations for Mank. Yeah, so 
Yeah, definitely check this out if you haven't already with your family. But if you have kids, I'm sure you have. So let's move on to Here Are the Young Men. Here Are the Young Men is supposedly a movie that stars Anya Taylor-Joy. She's not the star of this movie. Don't be fooled by that. It's the story of you know, dislocated youth, uh, you know, just young men on the cusp of uh, being uh, pushed into adulthood uh, somewhere in Ireland. Uh, one of them is just kind of lost and confused. One of them is an outright criminal. Another one is supremely depressed and, and uh, kind of reserved. Uh, the, the three of them are, you know, in their last summer before they've got to go out to, into the world. And uh, they they're seemingly just going to go through the entire summer getting as drunk as possible, getting as high, high as possible and, you know, trying to avoid being caught by the cops. Uh, that changes slightly, uh, quite uh, dramatically, I guess, when one day they see a young girl uh, run, run past them and running into the street, she gets hit by a car and killed. And this sends one of them, the main character into kind of a, a minor tailspin, the, the depressed one gets even more depressed to the point of suicidal and the kind of psychotic one begins to explore his even more dangerous side as he takes a trip to America. Uh, along the way, uh, one of the characters begins to fall in love with Anya Taylor-Joy's character and kind of has a first love going on there, but he's also spending a lot of time getting into drugs and alcohol and it's definitely costing uh, him potentially that relationship. Uh, he's also trying to keep up with his friend who's incredibly, who's growing more incredibly dislocated and violent. And the whole thing is shot with this kind of um, low watt handy cam kind of shooting uh, that, that uh, is all right. I guess there's, there's a lot of dream elements to this. Like you'll, there's a couple of scenes where people wake up from a dream uh, you know, when something dramatic has happened. And there's a, this one thing that runs throughout this, this character played by Travis Fimmel, uh, supposedly the host of a TV show called The Big Show. Uh, and it becomes a sort of focus of fantasy for the kind of psychotic character who's kind of exploring his psychosis within his uh, dream of this TV show. But then it doesn't just stay with him as his delusion because later on the main character also gets involved in that dream delusion. And it kind of, you're kind of left going, well, is this, it, this is supposed to be his, his psychosis, his dr expression of his own his psychotic dreams. And yet his friend is now interacting with his psychotic dreams. So the whole thing just becomes a big giant mess. And on top of that, there's just that, icky cash-in quality to the fact that they put Anya Taylor-Joy right there on the poster just around the time, <laughs> of course, that her TV series is big on Netflix and, you know, she's the most well-known person in the movie and it's just a, yeah, it's just a shame. Uh, Ferdia Walsh-Pilo, who's amazing in Sing Street, uh, plays the depressed character in this movie and he's barely given anything to do and, again, he's probably the most interesting actor in the movie aside from Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah, I read your review and I skipped this one. Uh, sounds, <laughs> sounds like a mess a little bit. Uh, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, anything else? Yeah. Go ahead. I just, uh, there's not much else to say. It just has that kind of a stink of a cash in sort of dropped into the American market. And, and it, just because Anya Taylor Joy might grab a few fans here and there. Yeah. Anything else before we move on to our classic? Nothing really. <laughs> All right. Let me hit the button that you won't hear. And. Ladies and gentlemen, 
This is the main event for the linear, legitimate, and universally recognized, undisputed classic. The artist. The artist uh, from 2011 was released uh, this week in 2011, which kind of got me thinking about it. And I put together a piece uh, for my writing outlet uh, on the 10 year anniversary of the release of the artist uh, because you know it was we did have the oscars very recently and uh, one of the most reviled and uh, disliked choices to win best picture was the artist and it kind of got me thinking about uh why i don't remember this movie and whether or not i liked or disliked it when it came out and uh, i went back and kind of read through some of the things that i had said about it in the past and realized i really like this movie uh, but it is not. It is not a best picture movie. It's a popcorn movie that happens to have a very artistic notion about it. So the idea here is basically the story of a star is born. Just take that story <laughs> and, <laughs> and kind of put a different, put a uh, a silent movie spin on it. Um, the story goes that a character played by George, uh, played by the, uh, uh, Jean Dujardin, is uh, the biggest star in the world in silent pictures. He's an He's a, an adventure star. He's a comedy star. He's beloved by everybody. He's got a beloved dog who's in his pictures as well. And he's the biggest star in the world. He's so big, in fact, that when a girl uh, kind of pops out of the crowd and kisses him on the cheek, she makes the cover of Variety. And she uses that to parlay that into her own movie career. And just as her career begins to rise, his begins to fall because she's going to be starring in the first talkies, the first films that have speech in them. And he is French. And so he doesn't really feel like he can transition very well to talkies. But it's interesting, though, when you watch the movie, they don't really frame that uh, very well, because early on you see him actually talking to reporters on the radio. So people know what he sounds like, so they know what to expect if he's in a talking picture. He just refuses to make talking pictures. He thinks that they're a fad. And thus, because of that, his star falls, hers rises. And, but she's also got this very deep care for him because she's she was one of her first films is with him. And he was very kind to her. And they had a very emotional, romantic connection uh, that uh, so she begins to feel for him and take care of him and try to bring him back and uh, and save his life. And the and the dynamic dynamic between Berenice Bejeau and and. Uh, uh, Jean Dujardin is really great. So they've got a wonderful chemistry together, and that really shows in the in the final moments of the movie. But like I said, this is a movie. This is more of a popcorn movie that just happens to be an homage to silent films because the story is very much you know, a, a star is born or singing in the rain uh, is a very similar story. Just this doesn't have any dialogue in it, um, and uh, I get why people went for this. I get why individual portions of the academy certainly went for this because it is because the style is so heavily pronounced it does it's so reliant on style even the screenplay was nominated even though there's no words because they did such a great job of scripting the action of the movie and people really appreciated someone who could you know script action so very very well and there's a lot of really striking scenes in this that are very beautiful there's one wonderfully meta uh, metaphoric scene where She's walking up some stairs. He's walking down some stairs. And it's this perfect little uh, you know, juxtaposition of where they're headed in their careers. 
I, I like a lot of this movie, but like I said, it's it's incredibly lightweight uh, in the end, and that's I think that's what really is responsible for its reputation. It's not a bad movie by any stretch, and pe- anyone who thinks this is a bad movie is is really foolish. Uh, but it, is it a best best picture? No, of course not. That is uh, that is not what this is, and I definitely agree with anybody who said that this didn't deserve to win best picture. It was a weak year. It was a weak year. Your best bets that year are Midnight in Paris and Moneyball, by my estimation. And so, yeah, definitely a weak year for for best picture nominees. Uh, for anyone that was going to gain a, uh, if anything was going to gain a a a wide swath of support, I guess it would be a movie like this that has so much appeal across so many different branches of the Academy. Yeah, uh, it, it's. I watched it for the first time this weekend, and it's. Uh, it, I, I can't separate the best picture win from it, and that's what's frustrating. Because you're right, it is a very good movie. Uh, yeah. And the art part of it is almost... It, it came off as gimmicky to me when like someone like something like Birdman, that art element is more... I guess you could argue that's gimmicky as well. But it, to me, it's more impressive. This like went backwards and just kind of, like you said, was an homage to silent pictures. And it worked for what they were doing, but I'll take the new Stars Born every day of the week, and you know, four or five times on Sunday <laughs> over this. Right. That, but you're right; it doesn't make it a bad movie. The acting is great. It, they everything they do, they do flawlessly. It's the reputation that it, it's the best picture win that is what prevents me from just being like, "This movie's amazing," and that's not fair to the movie. Uh, <laughs> right it, it's just what i'm bringing to it but it, yeah. was, it was way easier to watch than you'd think for a silent movie uh and what the way they work in the you know the sound you do here is it's impressive i mean everything they do is good there's really nothing wrong with the movie john goodman is great mm-hmm. in it uh it it really is good it, it's a lot <laughs> yeah. darker than you th- i mean like you said it's a star is born uh right and I like that story. Uh, I just really like what Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga did a couple <laughs> years ago. So much better, and that's not yeah. fair. Uh, but I, I definitely think people should check it out. It is on HBO right now if you want to watch it for free. The, the Academy did this movie no favors by giving it Best Picture. Now, at least, at least it made it a movie that it did make it a movie that people can go back to and 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 recall and have a good time watching. But again, there is so much resentment towards this film that it really, it's reputation is more, you know, uh, based on people writing buzz, Buzzfeed articles about why it shouldn't have won best picture or what, you know, that's where the way more of his reputation or it's dog. The dog came out of this, the biggest star. Cause we haven't heard from either. Uh, that, another thing that's probably hurt his reputation is that uh, Jean Dujardin and Berenice Bejeau really just went back to France and, and kept working over there and didn't do anything else here that would keep this movie alive uh, and give it any type of different reputation. Whereas, Uggy the dog actually went on to write his own biography, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it, like I said, it's on HBO Max if you have a subscription to that. It is worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Maybe you need to watch it twice, one time to get that the reputation out of your mouth, <laughs> get that taste out of your mouth, <laughs> and then another time to watch it for what it is. Uh, yeah, di- your, your list of uh, best picture movies that you've seen has uh, gotten pretty 
pretty good since this show started, huh? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, compared to most people, it's already pretty good. Obviously, compared to you, it's nothing. But uh, this was one of the few modern ones that I hadn't seen yet. So yeah, uh, I wonder how far back I could go. I'd have to go. I, you know what? We should just pick a. We should pick a best picture winner for next week too, just to just to see. Just to keep to uh, keep pad, the list going. Keep padding my stats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing we have been neglecting is 1991. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> one good cop. Man, I've seen this years ago. I don't remember it at all. No, I don't really remember it either. I know, you know Michael Keaton's in it, and uh, that's about it. <clears throat> I mix yeah. it up with about a dozen other Michael Keaton movies from that era. <laughs> that weren't Batman. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a Rage in Harlem, a cover I always liked. This is not the cover. It's a poster uh, that you're watching on uh, YouTube, but I've never actually seen it. <laughs> so. No, and this was an attempt to make uh, Robin Givens into a star at just the exact wrong moment when her TV career was ending and about the time that she's coming out of her relationship with Mike Tyson, which left nobody. No. Uh, it, it, uh, very unfairly, very unfairly. She was abused by him. And the way she was treated by everyone in the media was really super unfair. He beat her up. And he comes out of this like he came off in their interview in 2020 like he was the victim. Like <laughs> it's really, it's really weird. That was a weird time in her career. And then to have this movie coming out on top of that was really, uh, it was never going to be easy for her. Yeah. And then there was truly madly deeply. Yeah, and I've never heard anything about this. I wanted to see this because it is Alan Rickman. I, I'm not sure if it's available or not. And uh, I also see the name Anthony Minghella, and I start thinking of the English patient, and then I fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Alan Rickman's impossible to be boring, but... True, true, true. At the same time, I didn't try to find it. <laughs> uh, next week, we got Paper Spiders, Stealing Chaplin... Reboot Camp, 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot, and Queen Marie. Uh, we're going to pick a classic. Uh, we'll look at a, an Oscar contender. We'll, we'll announce it pretty soon. Then in 1991, Stephen King's Sometimes They Come Back. I believe that was a TV movie. Madonna's Truth or Dare, uh, FX2, and uh, Sweet Talker and Switch also turned 30. So maybe we'll catch one or two of those. Hopefully, yeah. That'll be the plan. Yeah, I'm surprised we didn't make a Warren Beatty movie of the classic. <laughs> we have not had good luck with him. Uh, he's, in, <laughs> oh, he's in Madonna's Truth oh, or Dare. Oh, that's right. He's in Truth or Dare. Oh, man. Probably yeah, bad. we've not had much luck with him, uh, you know, coming out of, uh, I mean, especially like with Shampoo. Uh, which was a bad experience. <laughs> probably his best movie is probably Madonna's Truth or Dare. Uh, <laughs> so next week's classic Bugsy. No, let's not do that. If it won, <laughs> if it had won the Oscar, I guess we could we could stump force it through. But right. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, before we get to flick chart. I just want to remind everybody to head over Patreon dot com slash Critics Pod. The best way to help support the podcast. If you want any of our T Public merch, go to IHateCritics.net slash CriticsPod. Or, I'm sorry, IHateCritics.net. Click on the T Public uh, link in the right-hand corner. Uh, 
this is a very quick episode, apparently. <laughs> so let's go. To, uh, <laughs> so we'll take some extra time on flick chart. It's fine. Live free or die hard versus Harry and the Hendersons. Oh man, I, they're both garbage, but live free, I guess. Yeah, I Kevin did. Smith isn't that, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I there you go. That's I the reason. Hate it. Uh, but yeah, I'm not a big Harry and the Hendersons fan. Star Trek Beyond and Collateral. Collateral. Collateral is amazing. Yeah. The Machinist, 12 Monkeys. 12 Monkeys. Yeah. It's impressive as Christian Bale nearly kill him, killing himself to, for a role. <laughs> changing Lanes or The Meg? Um, changing Lanes. Yeah, I'm with did you. you see, did you see the Ben Affleck uh, Twitter thing this week? I did not. So apparently, and this I feel, oh man, just dude, what are you doing? So there's this, apparently there's a dating site now that you can go on where you can actually send people who you match with, you can send them a video. And so he matched with some hot girl and she's like, oh, that can't be the real Ben Affleck. So she unmatched with him and he sent her a video message like, hey, why'd you unmatch with me? It's really me. <laughs> And she put it on Twitter. It's like, dude, what are you thinking, man? What are you thinking? Could have been worse. <laughs> could it? It could have been worse. I guess it could have been his dick. Yeah, yeah that's what I mean. <laughs> I mean, it's a male in Hollywood. That's a 50 50 chance. <laughs> uh, I mean, oh, I, he had to know, though. That was, I mean, he had to know. Yeah. How do you not know? What was going to happen there, man? I mean, I, I think people get have moments of weakness and just do stupid shit. Yeah. Uh, at least Adam Sandler was more in the news than he was for not getting let into IHOP. <laughs> Do you hear about that? <laughs> no, I missed that. Oh, that one. He, uh, he had a mask on. He had his beard. And he walked into an IHOP, and the waitress was like, it'll be 30 minutes. He's like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll go somewhere else. <laughs> and he <laughs> left, and someone was, like, recording it, or somebody caught yeah. it. And they were like, that was Adam Sandler. And it ended up going on TikTok and blew up <laughs> to the point where he had to comment on it. He goes, I just, they, the waitress, waitress told me that the all-you-could-eat doesn't apply to the milkshake, so I decided to leave. <laughs> What's up? <all? laughs> uh uh, that's funny. Two things went viral, and we each only heard of one. <laughs> that's how old we are. Uh, Battlefield Earth or Beer Fest? The only time I'll ever pick Beer Fest. Is there anything you'd pick Battlefield Earth over? I can't even imagine. Like, I don't even know if I'd pick it over Crash. <laughs> that would be tough. That would be very tough. Diamonds are forever. Superman for the quest for money. Good God. I mean, they're both garbage. Um, but I guess Sean Connery is probably the better Bond, and Superman 4 is unwatchable unless you're watching it with a group of people who can really make fun of it. Yeah. The curious case of Benjamin Button versus Air Force One. <laughs> Get off my plane! <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I'm going with Benjamin Button. I, I, I know it's not... I know it's not beloved Fincher classic and all, but it's still it's still Fincher and there's still a great deal of style. I like it. I just don't want to watch it. That's all. <laughs> and I'm Next not, week's classic. Yeah, you don't gotta <laughs> and anything I can do to avoid Harrison Ford, I'm good. 
I have. Seen I mean, just one. Harrison Ford's 1990s action movies have definitely declined in my memory, as opposed to you know many other things. Well, I mean, they're basically what we just watched with Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Ninja Assassin, Easy Rider. Easy Rider. I mean, Ninja Assassin's a really terrible film. Uh, Easy Rider is overrated. Not, not yeah, desperately overrated. Thank you. Yes. The Sandlot or Life of Pi? Life of Pi. I don't understand the, the, the cult around Sandlot. I don't dislike Sandlot, but Life of Pi is really good. Clueless or She's All That? Clueless. By a lot. By a lot. I mean, yes. you would think those are very similar, I think, if on the surface, but if you watch them, there's a lot more depth in Clueless than <laughs> She's All That. The Great Gatsby, Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket. Hell of a movie. Hell of a movie. Agreed. The Sixth Sense Transformers. Sixth Sense. It's a good day for Bruce Willis movies. (laughs) Even his bad ones are winning. Right. Uh, Before Sunrise, Stormtroopers, or Super Troopers. Before Sunrise, by a lot. The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford or School of Rock? School of Rock. Yeah. I appreciate the Jesse James movie, though. Absolutely. But I've seen School of Rock too many times not to pick it. A Simple Favor, Father of the Bride. A Simple Favor. I love that movie. I've watched it a few times, even after, uh, even this far after it came out. It's so good. I've seen it three times. Uh, I do feel like it's not, it hasn't lived on like I'd like it to in terms of pop culture. I wish more people liked it. (laughs) But it's a hell of a movie. Did they, do they dislike it or they just haven't seen it? I, I, I think most people haven't seen it. Yeah. That's a hell of a movie. Uh, Inner Space or Spider-Man 2002? Spider-Man. Agreed. Dracula, Dead and Loving It, Lethal Weapon. <laughs> Lethal Weapon. <laughs> yes. The Great Escape, Benji the Hunted. <laughs> the Great Escape. But Benji the Hunted was the only good Benji movie. <laughs> but I agree with you. Uh, Easy Rider or King Kong 1933? King Kong, an actual classic. Yes. A Walk to Remember, Spider Man 2. Spider Man 2. You just don't like Mandy Moore dying. <laughs> uh, coming to America, The Patriot. Oh, take your pick. I don't care for either one. You can have it. You just you pick for me. It's coming to America. <laughs> Thank you. I promise I don't hate the Patriot either. <laughs> uh, Dracula, 1931, or the Bone Collector? Dracula. Bone Collector is, is bad. Yeah. Hangover Part 2, Armageddon. Hangover Part 2. Good God, I still hate Armageddon. It's not fair to Bruce Willis. He was having such a good week. <laughs> Uh, he literally gives no shits about anything, so he doesn't care at all about anything. Have you heard the whole Kevin <laughs> Smith story about him calling him up recently? No. No, there's a recent interaction? Like in the last five years, uh, he act, he just called Kevin Smith and goes, hey, Kevin, how you doing? Uh, and he, Kevin's just like, Bruce Willis? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he's sitting there talking they talked for like an hour and he was like yeah I got yeah. some pictures of your daughter uh, uh, Ruby and 
I thought I, you know, I wanted to send you, you know, wanted to send the pictures to you. And he's like, my daughter's name's Harley, uh, but he's not correcting him. He's just sitting there listening and his wife's yeah. watching him talk to him. And then like six months goes by and then Bruce Willis goes, I'm sorry, it was the wrong Kevin. That, that I was. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is awesomely awkward. Yeah. <laughs> this is after all the horrible shit Kevin Smith said about Bruce Willis before yeah, that. He, no, but he probably had just no idea. Just no oh, idea what he was talking Did right. not care at all. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Space Cowboys. Indiana Jones. Uh, Bicentennial Man, The Happening. <laughs> I mean, uh, at least The Happening is easy to laugh at, so I'll go with The Happening. Bicentennial Man's just unwatchably dull. I agree. Uh, the Dark Knight, The Island. The Dark Knight. Jerry Maguire, Shaft. <laughs> Shaft 2000. Yes. Uh, it's Jerry Maguire, by a lot. Agreed. Uh, Magnolia, Platoon. Magnolia. Coin is coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Love Magnolia. It's overrated. What does it say? Just so I'm not, I don't know if the camera can see it. It does say Tails. I'm not cheating. <laughs> do not like that movie terminator 2 judgment day sweet 16 the director's cut <laughs> i'm not sure what sweet 16 is i'm probably gonna pick terminator 2 no matter what though so my girl yeah, pick, terminator yeah. 2 terminator 2 over dead macaulay culkin i won't fight you on it is thriller a <laughs> thriller movie? is not a no okay. it's, a, it's a short film i guess uh, the muppets take manhattan the avengers take the world <laughs> oh, the universe Avengers Endgame Avengers Endgame yeah. yeah I like Muppets Take Manhattan though my dad finally watched Avengers Endgame and like maybe a week and a half ago two weeks ago and he texted me and my brother he goes they really wrote themselves in a corner with the way they killed off some of these characters I'm like they've been playing them for like 15 years they don't want to do it <laughs> On top of that, they literally did not write themselves into any corner because now they can go back in time and do whatever they want. <laughs> so what are you talking about? Uh, Miller's, oh. <laughs> Miller's Crossing or Uncle Buck? Miller's Crossing. Yes. Nine or The Descendants? Descendants. Agreed. Underrated movie, The Descendants. Absolutely. Something's got to give, not another teen movie. Ugh, fuck, who cares? <laughs> who truly cares about either of those fucking movies? You go ahead and pick. I All don't right. care. I don't hate not another teen movie. Uh, <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, The Hills Have Eyes, the remake, the what's that guy's name? Uh, oh, what the fuck? Aja something or other. Yeah, Alexandra Aja. Ah, yes, right. Uh, Hills have eyes because it's shorter than Transformers and not as loud. (laughs) Even if it's not shorter, it's shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My super ex-girlfriend, 310 to Yuma. 
Yeah, the choice here is very obvious, but I do want to say that the, my Super ex-girlfriend had such a great premise and such a good idea. It's just such a shame they executed it like a sitcom. They just fucked up the execution of it so badly because uh, Uma Thurman is so great. Uh, and she was such a perfect choice to play that character. And there was a really good idea there. And then they just leaned into every single cliche about women being clingy and, and this nonsense and how especially that would be hard if she's a superhero. And it's just like, damn it, you had a good idea, you know, and you fucked it up. <laughs> I love men. <laughs> uh, cool Hand Luke, Titan AE. I don't know that movie at all. Uh, it's, uh, cool Hand Luke, I guess. I don't remember if I liked it or not. Disclosure, Catwoman. Disclosure, because Catwoman's unwatchable. Poor Halle Not that Disclosure's much better. It's an okay book. Uh, the Birds, Back to the Future Part 3. The Birds. Agreed. I still know what you did last summer, Beavis and Butthead to America. <laughs> I still know what you did last summer. is one of the worst ideas for a sequel ever. Like, what a terrible name. <laughs> And just awful, just completely awful execution. It's so bad. It's just so bad. Beavis and Butthead by a lot. Yeah, I mean that. I mean it was scream light from the get go. From right, even Jennifer Love Hewitt being like Nev Campbell light at the time. Uh, <laughs> you know, everybody in Scream was like a bigger star than I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, the Adventures of Tintin, House of Flying Daggers. I like both of these. Tintin's yeah. actually not a bad movie, but House of Flying Daggers is a work of art. It's just gorgeous. Agree. Thor Ragnarok phenomenon. <laughs> Thor Ragnarok. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, The Net. Oh, I have to pick a Dennis Miller movie. Uh, the Net. <laughs> it's, it's shorter. It is shorter, Yes. That's my metric. If it gets transformed, it's shorter, then it's fine. It's actually better. <laughs> Next will be Ben Hur versus Transformers. It's shorter. <laughs> I'm going Ben Hur. <laughs> Escape from LA, The Karate Kid Part 2. I'm a real soft spot for Karate Kid Part 2 and for Escape from uh, LA. Oh, Escape from LA. Oh, never mind. Then fuck say, that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking of Escape from New York, which I do have positive things to say about. Yeah, a scare from Millie was such a disappointment. Oh, when he's surfing? Like, what the fuck were you thinking? The basketball stuff. I mean, it was oh, just kind of... Bas- what the fuck? And I I was at the age where I wanted it to be good, so I pretended to yeah. like it for so long, and then I just had to give up. You know, it came along at that time when you were like... Well, like, when you were... When I was... I know I was at least... I was... I was too young for for Escape from New York. Like I wasn't allowed to watch it until I was older. And so that made the sequel, like as I'm coming to an age where I'm now starting to be able to watch, you know, R-rated action movies. I'm like, oh, okay. Now Escape from Los Angeles. This gives me an excuse to see Escape from New York. And now I can see the sequel and it's going to be cool and it's going to be an adult. And man, that was disappointing. Well, my brother was on, he was on a Kurt Russell kick since he was like, since I remember, I've never not known him to love Kurt Russell. And uh, so we had seen, I mean, we were kids, but all those movies, Big Trouble Little China, Escape from New York, The Thing, uh, maybe not kid kids, but like junior high and on, uh, he was starting to get into those movies. 
on Fox on Saturday mornings when they would come on or whatever after wrestling. Uh, and so when that came out, I was like, we were super excited for it. And it was just like, we liked it because it was like, look, he was making basketball shots from across the court. And the, it was awesome. And then you, you yeah. just, you didn't really mean it. <laughs> uh, idiocracy or the Black Panther. Black Panther. Yeah. Idiocracy. Although idiocracy, we're, we're about to elect the rock president in in three years. So maybe idiocracy becomes even more. I mean, Trump was enough. <laughs> uh, I mean, we do we do love TV shows where guys get kicked in the nuts. So I was showing my son uh, Stone Cold giving Donald Trump the stunner. <laughs> he was like, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> what is going on?" Uh, Spider Man: oh, Far From Home, the whole nine yards. Uh, the spot spider-man oh yeah i was thinking of the andrew garfield one because uh, i do like the whole nine yards bruce willis is falling apart again uh sahara bonfire the vanities they're both terrible but i guess bonfire the vanities is terrible in a more interesting way <laughs> i guess that's true i was gonna say because sahara was safer <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna go with but you make a good point and you've convinced me <laughs> uh, and flick chart agrees i think that was a good choice that's what the screen says it says that so yeah we were right then <laughs> people on youtube can vouch for that <laughs> right oh for youtube people are our rankings on here are not necessarily entirely reflective because we've done this for so long uh just certain things are, are where they are and you know if you look and see the dark night at 268 or whatever it is it's there because it just we don't we don't take the time to move those things up and heat's number 15 because josh and i really love that movie <laughs> 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 and it just won a lot and I've done a lot to try and drag it down, and it just never works. And then when Josh, um, when Josh quit, it stopped coming up. <laughs> so, uh, Moonraker, Shaun of the Dead. Uh, Shaun of the Dead. I'm not a huge fan of Shaun of the Dead, but I don't like any Bond movies. So. It's weird. I appreciate the Shaun of the Dead fan base more than I appreciate the Bond fan base. <laughs> Forbidden Planet or Wolf of Wall Street? I don't think I've seen Forbidden Planet. Neither have I. Mighty Duck 2, <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street. See, <laughs> end of show um, right there. <laughs> hey, Martin Scorsese is going to be doing the introduction to Mean Streets and Goodfellas at the uh, TCM Festival this weekend. That ought to be cool. I'll be uh, doing coverage of uh, TCM Fest on my uh, radio station website and in my writing, which I'll post on our Facebook page. Uh, but there's a lot of really, really cool stuff at uh, TCM Fest that you can actually see on HBO Max uh, this coming weekend where uh, there's this there's this thing, they're, they're doing a feature on this thing called L.A. Rebellion, uh, which was a, a group of uh, black film directors who went to UCLA around the same time that, you know, guys like just after the period of like when Lucas Spielberg and, and those guys were at UCLA. Uh, and they made some really interesting in, in movies that are now going to be available for the first time on HBO Max um, and really absolutely worth checking out. They'll uh, debut this Friday 
the uh, bless bless their little heart uh, and uh, to sleep with anger are two really interesting movies by two really uh, great under underknown directors who are uh, just I, I actually had a chance to talk to and that that interview will be part of my coverage. There's also a, a special on the uh, the horror films of Michael Curtiz. He only did I mean of the. 150 movies that he directed, including Casablanca and just about every classic movie of the period. He also did these three amazing horror films uh, and some of the first technicolor films in history. And they're, they're, they're incredible. The one is called the walking dead, uh, which is uh, uh, with him and Boris Karloff, which uh, is his take on the zombie movie. And then uh, the movie that I talked about, uh, I'm going to be writing about is called Dr. X, which is a, a mystery horror uh, thriller comedy has <laughs> this comedy character kind of at the center of it, but it's also you know, a really, a really fun mystery sort of horror movie uh, at the center. And it's, it's really, it's really very good. And, and the, the full Technicolor regist- uh, uh, redux that they've done on it is incredible. It looks gorgeous. It's a 1933 movie that, that uh, with this two color Technicolor has this, it adds so much to the, the beauty and the look, the horror film look of this, and uh, just incredible that he directed a color film, you know, so so long ago in the past, prior to Casablanca. That's awesome. Will we hear any of this stuff next week? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's all going up on the, on uh, online this weekend. So I'll have a full um, interview with directors uh, podcast and. Uh, Excellent. A feature on Nichols and May, the the comedy team Nichols and May, uh, which uh, Elaine May and Mike Nichols go on from there to become two of the biggest directors of the late '60s and '70s into the '80s. Uh, so there's a lot of really amazing stuff uh, at TCM Fest this weekend. So if you're going to be watching, you know, Turner Classic Movies or HBO Max, you can check out a lot of this stuff. Um, a piece I've got going up tomorrow. Uh, if I might uh, continue to promote myself, uh, <laughs> it's on uh, the 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 uh, cartoons of Tex Avery. Uh, they've got uh, a a documentary that hasn't been seen since 1988 on uh, Tex Avery, the King of Cartoons, and then they're showing an hour. Uh, this is all on TCM, 6 a.m. Saturday morning and 7 a.m. Saturday morning. Uh, it's Tex Avery at a- MGM, and it's uh, just seven of his uh, famous shorts that they chose to show. And it's really interesting. There's a lot of really problematic, deeply racist stuff in Tex Avery's past that is not being touched upon at all in this. <laughs> it's really they found seven of the safest ones that they could. That they're all kind of weird and unusual. Some of them are very funny and innovative, and and none of the ones they're showing here really are prop- too problematic. One of them's got a blackface bit that you kind of cringe at. Uh, but there's a lot of that in classic cartoons and especially in the work of Tex Avery. It's a little weird that they're not using this as an opportunity to talk about Tex Avery and and his, you know, what he did and his reputation and how how problematic he is in many ways. Like and not talking about canceling him or any of that nonsense, <laughs> but like just have it. It's an opportunity to have a conversation where we can, where we can look at the art that's been created in the past and the people who create it in a, in a context that can be scholarly and open and honest. And it would seem that cancel culture doesn't want us to be honest about the things that, that we don't like. And that's really unfortunate to cancel by that. I mean, the, the, the right. people who try to weaponize it, right. Uh, as opposed to those of us who just, want us to be honest about the things that happened in the past. 
and really ignoring you know the bad about Tex Avery uh, is to is to ignore what really happened and and I don't think they're venerating him. They're not treating him. I mean, they're playing a documentary that does play up his legend, but I, they're it's not that they're being irresponsible TCM. It's just that they're, they're kind of overlooking an important aspect of it. So I, I touch on that in the article. I've got reviews of each of the uh, seven shorts that are pretty weird, <laughs> but also some of them are kind of incredible. Um, he, he has, a, there's a lot of Tex Avery tropes that he created that you don't even realize he created. You know, he created essentially what are cartoon physics. He was uh, you know one of the first people to break the fourth wall he did this one in nineteen late 1930s uh, or early 1940s, I guess it was, called Red Hot Red Riding Hood, where he takes the Red Riding Hood story but moves it to the jazz age after the characters complain about telling the same story about Red Riding Hood, the mm-hmm. wolf, and Grandma's house. So it becomes where the wolf goes to a jazz club and Red Riding Hood is the performer and he's, he's – Use, this is the term wolf whistle comes from this cartoon because he's whistling at her and his eyes are popping and he's going crazy for her and he's trying to hit on her and she turns him down but uh, invites him to go to grandma's house which is now this after hours party spot and grandma is this man eater who goes after the wolf and tries to have sex with him just in every possible way <laughs> oh and it ends this cartoon and i'm gonna spoil it because it's just so so bizarre that a cartoon would end with the wolf pulling out a gun and taking his own life then his ghost pops out of his corpse and sits back down at the jazz jazz club table and starts whistling at red riding hood <laughs> I, I remember my daughter i don't know i think it was uh i don't know what it was basically a fish popped out of the water pulled a gun out and shot itself in the head from <laughs> my dad was trying to show her God. old cartoons when he was a kid he was like you know what i'm gonna stop now <laughs> but yeah, that, oh that yeah sounds entertaining though in terms of all the content that you got going on this week so looking forward it's to really that. great stuff and uh, i can't say enough about uh, the folks at tcm fest for for allowing me to have the access that they've given me to all of this stuff i'm hoping to get to uh a piece on on director Chantal Ackerman and her her short films. She's really uh, you know an incredible artist, and that's one of the things I could cover if I find the time. Right. <laughs> I've got so many of these things. Uh, you know, there's a great there's a great piece on uh, New York and the history of New York in movies, the streets of New York, uh, and it's got this really uh, amazing perspective on uh, this classic uh, Harold Lloyd movie. Um, that that was filmed in New York and then recreated again in Los Angeles where they create New York and he points out all the differences in the streets and the, it's really great. And then of course, bringing New York through the years, uh, the way that it was filmed in the, you know, 1918 to, ni- to, to now is really a fascinating way to look at the history of a city. That's awesome. Well, that's a very long way of saying D- D2 <laughs> Mighty Ducks. 